Hey everyone, welcome to the Being Patient Podcast. I'm Deborah Kahn, founder of Being Patient. When my mom was diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease, I decided to use my skills as a journalist in a different way. Frustrated by the lack of information on science and the inability to get different expert opinions, I decided to quit my job at the Wall Street Journal to create a better platform for people impacted by dementia. We are a community where news and information is created by our team of journalists. We ask tough questions and we simplify the science so that anyone can understand. We don't only cover disease, but delve into the latest research on what it takes to keep our brains healthy. We invite the experts and ask your questions. Here's today's podcast. I hope you enjoy it. Welcome everyone to Be Patient's live talk, and this is Nicholas, reporter with Being Patient, and uh, today uh, we'll be speaking with uh, Chuck McClatchy uh, about his diagnosis of early onset Alzheimer's and uh, his work uh, in advocacy. So Chuck, thank you so much for, for joining us and for sharing your story. Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor. Thanks. My pleasure. Uh, so Chuck, you know, just to continue our conversation from um from just before we started this interview is, you know, tell us a little bit about your background, you know, your, your experience in, in the Air Force, as well as after you retired uh, in the Air Force. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. I was born in uh, California and, and entered the Air Force in 1971 and uh, worked up and became a uh, flight engineer on C-141 transports, which is a big uh, uh, foreign engine jet. And be able, I was able to log over um, 15,000 hours. I had to fly to about 37 different countries, every continent. Uh, did an airdrop at the South Pole, got to uh, um, flew in Desert Storm, and then retired right after uh, Desert Storm and went to work for the Arizona Department of Transportation. And it was just a kind of a growing field then called ITS, which is Intelligent Transportation Systems but it's the big black message boards along the freeway and the ramp meters and the sensors and the cameras. And I took, uh, I developed the maintenance program for the entire Phoenix metropolitan area and got promoted up my last five years. I was the first electrical operations superintendent for the state. And I had uh, five different traffic groups around the Phoenix area and about a 20, $25 million budget. Um, I retired in 1993 and thought I had my kind of dream job in Dallas as a uh, superintendent for a construction company. And um, that's when I started having my issues with uh, memory and started forgetting things I used to teach. And um, they kind of, you know, progressed from there. And, you know, you mentioned that, you know, and your job in Dallas, that's when you really started noticing the symptoms. Um, you know, are there, you know, was there really like, a, you know, I know for some folks, there's like final, you know, the moment when they knew that, you know, something is really wrong here, you know, I have to go see a doctor about this. Oh, yeah. Was there, did you have a similar experience? Yeah. Oh, yeah. We call them our aha moments. Yeah. And uh, this one came, I was, uh, after I left the uh, construction company, I went to work for Lowe's in the plumbing and electrical department. And I was still having memory issues and I was pretty frustrated. And so one night Bobby brought home a, a little red desk to put together, which should have taken probably about 30 minutes. 
Well, here I am an hour later with trying to put it together and it won't go together right. And so I, I got you know, pretty angry at myself, says, well, I'll just finish it tomorrow. And that's when she finally sits down and says, no, no, something else is wrong. And started telling me the things that I was doing around the house. Um, she would, you know, leave and ask me to do a couple of things and I might get one done, but not the other. Or, you know, in the process of doing something, I would go start doing something else. And she said, uh, you know, I, I really think that you need to go get checked. And Alzheimer's wasn't in my family. So that, that wasn't anything that I was even thinking of. So I went to my primary care doctor and, you know, told him what was going on. And I was, I was extremely fortunate. He sent me to a specialist in Fort Worth that specialized in dementia. And so I went through all of the, you know, the neurocognitive testing, MRIs and PET scans and, um, I still remember the day I walked into his office and he goes, you know, your brain has shrunk. Uh, you have the fissures in your brain are twice the size of normal. And uh, his exact words were, you need to go home and get your affairs in order because you have early onset Alzheimer's. And basically I'll see you in six months. So that's, that's kind of how I got my diagnosis. Yeah, Chuck, since we have a, a little bit of connection lag here, you know, you mentioned, you know, um, Bobby, can you clear, uh, who, who's Bobby? Sorry. Well, Bobby's, Bobby's my wife. Yeah. Uh, we've been together now for about 13 years. So she's, uh, she's been here for all of it. And, uh, she's a, uh, a former military wife. Her husband was in the air force for 22 years. Uh, but he passed away about, um, uh, four years before I met her. And so we've been, kind of been on this journey together and we're, we're very open and honest with each other, which really helps. And to make sure I understand correctly, for you, the final straw, the final straw was, you know, having issues doing things at home, right? And that was when, when Bobby, your wife, you know, told you that, you know, there's something wrong going on here. So yes. you went to go see your primary care physician who then referred you to a dementia care specialist in Fort Worth. Right. Yeah, it, uh, it was kind of that aha moment that, you know, it was nice because I didn't realize the things I, would, I was doing and the things I was forgetting to do. But when she sat me down and we had that nice long talk, it, it really kind of opened up exactly what was going on. So I think that, that, that communication between people is so important. And at around what age was it that, you know, you started experiencing those symptoms and when, you know, that aha moment came. I was 61 when I was diagnosed, but, you know, looking, looking back, um, I was having issues probably four or five years prior to that, that I didn't realize what was going on. Um, I ended up, I used to love to play poker. Well, I ended up giving up poker because, you know, I couldn't really remember all the cards and the plays on the table. And uh, I almost gave up golf because I would play a hole and then not remember what my score was, you know? And so those were things, but I just kind of, you, you get to a point, you just say, well, I'm tired, I'm getting older. There's this, there's that. You always make those excuses for what's going on until you get to a point, you know, where you have that aha moment. Right, and I mean, Chuck, you were in your, you know, 
in your mid to late 50s, when you're starting in hindsight, starting to experience those symptoms, you know, as you mentioned, you have no family history of the disease. So, you know, you know, I'm sure, you know, those are some of the reasons why, you know, Alzheimer's or dementia wouldn't come to mind, right? When you're, you know, it would because I, I, you know, there was so much I didn't know about it. I didn't know there were different strains of it. One is a genetic one that, you know, it, it's it's down by family member, and the other one is just you get it, you know, out of no, just a little mutant gene or you know whatever it is, you you end up developing it. Right and. You were diagnosed at the age of 61. How, you know, how did you and how did your wife feel about the diagnosis? When oh, <laughs> um, I didn't take it very well at all. When you received I, I had a very, very difficult time. Um, I, I just, I saw my life passing before me and I thought I was gonna be in a, uh, a nursing home in, in, in a year. You know, and those, all those things just kept running through my mind. And I ended up having severe uh, panic attacks and, and anxiety really bad. And ended up going to a therapist for a while that really, really did help. And, you know, it, this went on for a few months. And then, uh, you know, one day Bobby could see that I was having kind of a bad day and she goes, you know, we need to sit down. We got to talk about this. And she goes, you know, you got to cut this out. This is not who you are. You're not somebody that does this. And she was right. I wasn't. But I think in that those dark moments, I kind you know, you kind of forget who you are. You know, and once we decided that that was not what we were going to do, that we were going to fight back and do as much as we can then everything seemed to kind of fall in place. And, you know, we found a, a support group and it was amazing walking in that first time and seeing other people there that had been there for and had the disease for five, six, seven, 10 years. And for the first time since my diagnosis, it was like, oh, wow, maybe I'm not gonna be in a nursing home, you know, in, in six months. Maybe I, I can make it through this. And so that's, that's kind of what we built it on. And then through the support groups and stuff, I, I found out me talking about it and what I was going through helped me, you know, and conversing with other people as to what they were going through. And the leader of the group asked me if I would talk at a caregivers conference. And that was the first, you know, first time I'd ever talked in, a, in a, a big group of people like that. And my fear was, well, what am I going to tell them? They're living it, you know, and I don't have any answers for them. But, you know, so I went ahead and I gave my presentation and I was amazed because after I finished, there was probably 15 to 20 people that came up to ask questions. And that's when I kind of finally realized that you know, people don't talk about Alzheimer's because they're so afraid of it with all the myths and uh, the misconceptions and the presumptions. It, it really paints a pretty black hole. And it, it takes a lot to pull yourself out of that hole when 
nothing around you gives you hope. And so that's what brought me onto this advocacy to try to give people hope. Um, they, because when I looked it up on the internet, when I first got diagnosed, my life expectancy was supposed to be three to five years. Well, that was eight years ago. And I, I think people need to understand that it's not a, 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 an immediate death sentence, that you have a long live, life to live and you can do things that you still enjoy doing. You may change them a little bit, but it, it still entitles you to have a life, to live, to love, to learn, um, and to you know, pass on to other people. And I've always said that dementia is a family disease because it's going to affect every single member of your family. And when your family can talk to you about what's going on and you can sit there and talk with them with a smile on your face and says, you know, well, this is what's happening. And that way, when they see something happening, they're not so afraid because watching somebody kind of slip and do this is if you don't understand what's going on, can just create so much stress to where if, you know, Bobby and I, if I do something wrong, then it's not me, it's the disease. And I had such a hard time with it, with the frustration of doing, you know, things wrong and not doing this right or that right, that we actually named my disease. And if you can tell the little guy right here, it's a little gorilla. That's Chucky. That's actually a representation of my disease. And it's a little doll that I've had with me for about 35 years. And he goes with me every time I travel or go talk. He goes with me because he, he is with me. But it, it, it's, a, it's a point that you can take whatever is going wrong and put it on that, that we're not doing these things because we want to. We're not doing these things just to be mean. We're doing these things because our brain is making us do it. And I've talked to so many people that have a hard time with the frustration that, you know, they don't, they can't really handle not being able to do what they used to do. You know, so I tell them, you know, well, you need to just concentrate on what you can do and pursue what you can do and not dwell on what you can't do. Because, you know, to meet this disease head on, you have to, you know, understand what's happening to you. And I've learned a lot about all forms of dementia through, you know, through my, my talking with people and being an advocate. Because every person you meet, there's a saying, if you've met one person with dementia, then you've met one person with dementia. Because every person is different. Every person's symptoms are different. Um, and there's something like 130 different types of dementia. You know, and everyone has different symptoms. Everyone affects people differently. And I think that's why the, the medical profession has such a hard time, number one, diagnosing it. Because they try to paint, you know, everybody with one little brush. And that, that doesn't work when every, every person has completely different symptoms because what works for one person will not work for another person. 
So, you know, Chuck, you know, you mentioned that, you know, you kind of forget who you are uh, when you're diagnosed with, you know, when, with Alzheimer's. Can you tell, tell me a little bit more about, you know, what do you mean by that in terms oh, of sure. kind of forget who you are? It's, it's a process that, like with me, it was like I got hit right in the chest with a four by four. You know, and all of a sudden, everything that I had planned, everything that I was planning for was out the window. And I was, I would not be able to take care of my family. I would not be able to take care of my house, you know, and that's what just kind of fills your head. And you, like with me, my mind, I couldn't wrap it around exactly what was happening. And when you do that, you just react to things and it, it really strips everything away from you. And you get down to the point where I was at, you know, that every day is doom and gloom and you have to kind of, you know, stop and you almost come to a crossroads. And on that crossroads, you can either take the positive side and live your life or you can take the negative side and just kind of give up. And I've seen people that have given up. And Nicholas, it is the saddest sight that you will ever see when somebody you can see on their face that they've just flat given up. And I, I decided, you know, I was going to fight this every way that I knew how. And that is, I think, what drove me to do what I do, you know, and remembering who I was because it takes everything away except kind of what your core values are and who you are inside. Because all the money you have, all the prestige you have, this disease doesn't care. And it's gonna affect you extremely bad. So I think when people make that decision, because we have to, we have to make that decision for us and for our families that you know, we're going to fight this. We're going to fight this together. You know, we're going to bring everybody along with us. And instead of having that mentality of, you know, something, I kind of shouldn't do this. So I'm not even going to try. I'll just, I'll just kind of maybe go do something else, but have the, the mentality of, you know, something I want to do this. So let's figure out a way how, and let your family members help so they don't worry that you're doing something that you shouldn't. Because the more you bring them in, the less stress in the family it's going to be. Because everybody has a voice, everybody knows what's going on. And if they can see you kind of laugh about some of the things you do, then they're, you know, they don't have that stress. I know with me, I, Bobby and I were in the store. And she's one of these ones that always takes the loaf from the back and reads the date and makes sure the date's good and all this. Well, she's doing that to her bread and she likes rye bread. And I said, Bobby, what is, what is jellyfish rye? And she gave me a really funny look. So I said, what are you talking about? And I says, well, right on the back of the pack, it says jellyfish rye. But it was where the flaps were folded over on the end of the loaf. And so my mind, it saw Jay something and it just said jellyfish. Well, it was Jewish rye, but we, let, we were <laughs> able to laugh about it. 
you know, and it just takes that stress away that, you know, we're not doing these kind of things on purpose. And you have to kind of keep a, a, a sense of humor that, okay, things are going to happen. And what do you do? You just back up, regroup, and go at it again. You know, I, I think you've seen the, my podcast the, on This Dementia Life. I completed one podcast with a doctor talking about uh, drug trials. Got it all done. It was really good. Went to send it, and I forgot to record it. So I had to go back to the doctor again and ask him, would he redo it? And I told him exactly what happened. You know, and he was understanding, and we, and we redid it. But, you know, things like that are going to happen. If you kind of expect it, you know, then you, it, it's just kind of what happens. But what I think is one of the worst things to do is keep somebody from trying things. Because number one is you have to understand your limitations. And two, you have to challenge yourself um, to, to keep going and keep doing the things you want to. Because I still travel sometimes and I travel alone. And I know that I am very single-minded and I use that to my advantage when I travel. You know, when I get to the airport, it's like, okay, I can go from the cab to, to security. And I get through security, I said, okay, next I have to find my gate. So I find my gate, I sit, sit down, I said, okay, now do I want to get something to eat or, you know, something to drink or something? Because I'm already here and I'm, you know, I, and I'm good. So, you know, you can still do things you enjoy doing. But one thing I don't do anymore is I don't drive. Um, I noticed that my uh, attention to the road and stuff, I would get distracted way too easy, you know, with something off to the side. And here I am looking like this going down the freeway at 70 miles an hour. So I did get my, my, my uh, uh, license up. Um, so Bobby has to now take me any place that I go. But, you know, I, I just kind of look at what I'm still able to do. I'm still able to go play golf. Uh, I go with friends. You know, I'm still able to talk, you know, to uh, give presentations and, and do my advocacy work. So, you know, I, I really love my life and I love exactly what I'm doing right now. Right. And, you know, the, the leader of the support group asking you, you to do the presentation at the caregivers conference, that, that must have been a jump start for you as, a, as an advocate, right? And it must have been so meaningful for you to, to see that, you know, what you have to offer in the presentation really speaks to people, right? That was, that was the, the, moha, the aha moment for, for that was when I finished, you know, and then all the people wanted to know more. And, you know, that was, that just kind of set, set things on, on, you know, the motion. And then, but uh, two years later, I was selected to the national, the 2016 National Alzheimer's Advisory Group, our early stage advisory group, you know, and went around for the Alzheimer's Association and talked to conferences and conventions and got to go to Washington, D.C. and you know, all of these, all this advocacy work. And it was just something that I realized that I really did enjoy. I enjoyed talking with people. Um, when I was in New Mexico, I talked before the state Senate twice. Um, here in, in Nevada now, I'm, I'm a member of the Governor's Task Force on Alzheimer's Disease. I do a Zoom every Monday from 10 to 1130 uh, for people living with dementia. 
through Dementia Friendly Nevada with uh, Dr. Jennifer Carson out of the uh, University of Nevada, Reno. Um, and we have probably, you know, like 18 to 20 people there every day, every week. You know, and it, it just allows me to, to keep doing my advocacy work. And, you know, looking back at this last eight years has gone by awful fast. Right. And um, how about, you know, your advice for, you know, folks living with dementia? What do you think um, is like a good first step for people if they, they if they do want to share their story, if they do want to be an advocate? Like, what's it like? Where do people begin? Like, how do you get started to do that? What happened with me was, you know, with number one is, is you know, support groups. Uh, there's so many national associations now. I'm also a member of Dementia Action Alliance, and we have a speakers bureau. Um, and there's a, a place called Dementia Mentors, uh, Dementia Action International. So there's a lot of groups out there now that are looking for, you know, anybody that wants to tell their story. There's another one in Michigan called Dementia Minds. Um, so there's a lot of groups around that are looking for people. Because the saddest part of being an advocate is there's there's probably, you know, of all the national advocates, we basically all know each other. And that's really sad that there's so few of us out there and we need to have more. You know, we need to have more representation of people being able to go out and, and talk. You know, we need more more women. We need, you know, more people of color you know, coming out and, and telling their story so that other people can say, you know, well, you know, if they can do it, then why can't I? Um, you know, and that's, that's the biggest message I think I could tell anybody is there are groups out there, they're always looking for people that are willing to tell their stories, you know, even with the Alzheimer's Association, but there's so many out there now that weren't out there before. And if you're willing to tell your story, just contact one of them. Um, and, you know, chances are they will, they will, you'll be able to. And, you know, start small and then kind of work your way up. And it's so, it is so fulfilling to uh, be able to go to these places and talk to people. I had an incident with DAA. I was back in Philadelphia talking at a continuing care community. And after we talked and everything and the people were coming up to kind of talking to us, this lady was coming up and crying. And we asked her what was wrong. And she goes, well, my husband, after watching you guys talk, told me for the first time that he needed to be there and he did have dementia. You know, so it, it creates that conversation, you know, where people, well, maybe if, if they can talk about it, why can't we? You know, and it's not that death sentence. It's something that happens. It's going to be a slow process. And you can enjoy your life even after you've been diagnosed with it for many years. Right. Because, you know, dementia can be such an isolating illness for folks and for folks to be able to, you know, hear other people's stories and know that, you know, they're really not alone, you know, in this journey really oh it is and i think one of the biggest thing biggest hurdles that we have in a lot of societies and and cultures when somebody they feel is sick 
the family surrounds them and tries to protect them. And I can understand that, but sometimes people do the wrong things for the right reasons. They're not trying to be mean. They're trying to protect the person. And that's when that's the people that we need to get to, to say, you know, you're, you're, we know that you love these people, but let them come out, let them be with other people that are going through the same things they are. Because when people are active, when people can stay home, it's, it's proven that they last longer. Their, their decline is slower by keeping your mind going, you know, keeping active, being able to talk with others, being able to enjoy conversations with others and, you know, not make them feel so they're so alone. And that's one of the things that I felt when I first started my journey was I felt I was the only one in the world that had it because I didn't understand it and I wasn't around anybody that had it. And it makes such a change when you can be around other people that have it and see what they're going through and how they, you know, go through this and how they go through that. And, you know, you can pick and choose, you know, well, he does this good. So I'm going to, you know, I might try it. And it gives people avenues to develop their own way through. Because even though we're kind of on the same journey, everybody is taking different paths because they have little things wrong with them that maybe I don't, you know, so what works for me may not work for them, but what works for somebody else might work for them. And it just, it allows people to, you know, talk and openly say, well, you know, when I have anxiety, this is what happens. This is what I do. And, you know, the, this is what I take you know, to give people options so they can kind of develop their own tasks. Right. And, you know, Chuck spoke about the importance of, you know, keeping the hope and having that faith and, you know, continuing to pursue what you can still do and really focusing on those. I was wondering if you have any thoughts about how medical professionals, like clinicians, like neurologists or primary health care, primary care providers can do a better job in, you know, supporting patients and um, passing along the message that, you know, there is still hope and that there is still a life after your diagnosis. Any thoughts? Oh, yes. Thank you for bringing that up. I work with uh, the Governor's Task Force and also Dementia Friendly Nevada. And what we're doing here is we're trying to get an actual booklet that the clinicians would give people, you know, that have all of this information. If you have Lewy body, if you have vascular, if you have frontal temporal, if you have Parkinson's, these are all the groups that are out there to help you. Um, that give them information, uh, which we didn't get. And also when there is a letter and our group on Mondays called Dementia Conversations with Chuck and Jennifer, our group wrote a letter that's going to be in that packet. And it's kind of our first communications with somebody who just got diagnosed. And I saying, you know, you're not alone. There's a lot of us out here just like you are. You know, when you're ready, please, please contact us or contact somebody you know, to have that conversation. And I think the more that we can give people information, 
about living well with dementia and that it's uh, you can still live your life, you can still have hope. And by them seeing other people doing things, I think that just kind of extends their hope. Well, if those people can do it, why can't I? And, and I think there's a lot of groups around that are trying to get that, that medical profession to not be so, I guess, terminal with that diagnosis. You know, that you have to be able to give people some hope. You know, yes, you have this, but, you know, here, here are some groups that uh, it'd be similar to, to if somebody was diagnosed with cancer. You know, you have, you know, you all of a sudden you start seeing all these specialists and, and clinicians and all these things to give you help, to get you through it. Well, with, with dementia, that kind of doesn't happen. You're just kind of left on your own. So I think they need to work on getting more help for people. And I think that by giving people hope, you're going to have people that would get diagnosed earlier. And if you're diagnosed earlier, you have a better chance of slowing down the process um, and be proactive with it instead of being reactive with it. Right. And that sounds like that's what you've been doing, you know, along this path is, you know, at first you were reactive to it, you know, panic mm -hmm. attacks, and very anxious, and you're in a dark but then over time, you know, joining support groups and uh, sharing, you know, your experiences with family and the public, that's you being proactive about, you know, you know, you being proactive and you being putting yourself out there, right? And that I'm sure has helped you a lot. Oh, it has, you know, and, you know, kind of understand you're going to make some mistakes, but don't let it stop you. Um, you know, keep doing the things you enjoy doing. Everybody's not made out to be an advocate, but be an advocate for yourself. You know, kind of understand what's going on and be able to go in and talk with the doctor and says, you know, doctor, this, this is happening and this is happening. And make the doctor talk to you. We've had some people that have gone to doctor's appointments and the doctor starts talking to the person that's with them instead of to the person with the disease. And I think that that sends really a bad message, you know, that we can still be our own advocates and we need to be because with some of these diseases, especially ones like Lewy body, there are certain drugs that they can't take. You know, it'll, it'll trigger really, really bad symptoms uh, where I could take those and it's not going to have that effect, you know, so you have to understand what you're going through and be your own self-advocate, you know, and speak up for yourself. Because the more we do that, I think the more people will understand and have hope that, hey, I can still control what's going on. You know, I can still control what I do. I can't control what the disease does, but I control, can control what I do. And by doing that, I'm still taking care of my family. I'm, I'm still providing as much as I possibly can. And it gives you that sense of accomplishment that, is really you know, badly needed when you're going through something like this. What can I still accomplish? Well, you can accomplish a lot of things. All you have to do is keep going. Right, and yeah, so you know, when we speak about, when we say the word advocate, it doesn't only mean being you know, a public advocate, like mm -hmm. you know, what you're doing right now, but it also extends to your daily life in terms of you know, being an advocate 
when you're with friends and family or when you're at the doctors to, to vouch for yourself? Yes, very much. And be open with talking with people about it. Because the more we start to remove these myths that are associated with it, um, the more I think people will be, you know, accepting of getting a diagnosis. Uh, where now, you know, people are still so deathly afraid. There's a lot of people that won't even go to the doctor. You know, and I've I've met a few. You know, and it's it's kind of ignoring what's going on. You know, I tell them that's one of the worst things that you can do, because now you're going to be reactive to whatever happens and not being proactive to understand what's going to happen and kind of prepare for everything, you know, and kind of be able to talk to them that way. And some of them have, you know, go ahead and, and went to the doctor and got a diagnosis because they, they felt that they did want to be proactive and not reactive to it. And Chuck, yeah, you know, is there any last words or anything you'd like to add about, you know, what it means to live well with dementia for you? I think if, you know, what whoever out there has, you know, questions about dementia is do research on it and, and understand what it is. And also understand that you're not alone. The person with the disease is not alone. The care partner is not alone. There are thousands of people out there going through the same thing you are. And we can help each other and make that journey a lot less stressful, you know? So always remember that you are not alone in this, in this battle. You have a whole army behind you and we can learn from each other and we can support each other. And as a group, we can fight this as much as, you know, as much as we can. You know, that, that we're in this as a community Exactly. They're in the dementia family and it encompasses everybody. We don't care who you are. If you have dementia, then you're part of our dementia family. Well, thank you so much, Chuck, for, for sharing your story and all your insights. Um, and for our audience, if you miss any of this live talk, we'll have a recording uploaded uh, to our YouTube channel, as well as a transcript on our website. And if you haven't signed up to our newsletter yet, don't forget to do so on our website. Thank you, Chuck, again, and thanks for the audience uh, for joining us. Bye. Thank you. Well, I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. For more information on upcoming interviews, don't forget to sign up for our newsletter at beingpatient.com. That's B-E-I-N-G-P-A-T-I-E-N-T dot com. And send us any feedback you may have, whether it's someone you want us to interview or any comment about our podcast series. You can do so by emailing info at beingpatient.com. Thanks for listening, everyone. I'm Deborah Kahn.